sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning to everyone. It's good to be here. I, haven't, I don't think I've stood up here in a number of years. It's been quite a few years. But it's a blessing that uh, it's worked out finally to be here. I think I had plans to be here for numerous months in a row, and it just never worked out. But... Uh, and here on the last minute, it worked out, so I'm glad to be here. Just going to read a, a few verses here from Hebrews chapter 12 as we, as we begin. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about... With so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, uh, as we meet together as this local body of Christ, that we would just consider that just that thought that, that Jesus could see beyond the pain and suffering, the sorrow that he would endure even as he was in that garden. But he could look beyond even the cross, knowing that in just a short time that he would be with you, that he would be with the Father and that should be our goal as well. That is our goal, that we would endure, that we would even run with patience this life, this race that is set before us. Lord, help us in that. Help us in trying times and the days even ahead of us. Lord, knowing that your word says you will never leave nor forsake us, we just trust you now and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few thoughts on these verses. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, it's referring back to the previous chapter, chapter 11, which we know is this what is called the faith chapter. And in, in, in this uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, it, it mentions numerous individuals, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses. Speaking of Moses, it says there in Hebrews 11, Chapter uh, verse twenty-four, there in chapter eleven, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And so that's that cloud of witnesses. You know the Hebrews. Chapter 11 speaks of those who came before us. And for us, 
there's even a greater cloud of witnesses. We, we all could probably name people in the past, Christians in the past, who uh, pastors, preachers, missionaries, many individuals who are also part of that great cloud of witnesses. And they, like, like Moses, they chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy these, the present things. Today I titled the message for us, The Prosperity Gospel. And maybe we have ideas what that is. But I'm going to start with a, a story about a man I knew. It's a true story. The man's name was Ed. And I'm going to call him the, the millionaire mechanic. This man I knew, uh, this is going back a number of years. Last saw him probably 18 years ago. This man, he had a wife, and he had two children, and sadly one died in infancy. At one time, this man worked two jobs, and later on, his wife eventually, she went to work, and while she was working for this particular employer, she was did well, stayed with the company for a number of years, and she moved into a management position there. Along with that comes more responsibility and more pay. So I came to know Ed over 25 years ago when I worked with him at Harley-Davidson Motor Company. While I was working there, I was, I was like Ed. I was a mechanic. Our job title was pipe fitter. Pipe fitter is kind of a plumber in a factory environment. We worked on Industrial piping, water lines, gas lines, air, hydraulics, heating and cooling systems, anything to do with piping, that's what we did. We even worked on some plumbing, too. When I started working there as a, as a new employee, I got to know Ed, and he kind of, being new there, he, he sort of took me under his wing, so to speak, and... and uh, Making a job change is, uh, can be a difficult thing, and I ended up working at Harley-Davidson over a series of job changes, and I knew in, in all that, God was working in my life. It was a difficult time in my life, but so Ed took me under his wing, and uh, became my friend. Ed had been working at Harley-Davidson his entire working career. His dad worked there, and when Ed was 18 years old and out of high school, he helped him to get employment there. Eventually, Ed uh, found his way into the maintenance department, and as time went on, he uh, worked in the field of working on piping. Sometime in 1986, Harley-Davidson, that company, was a... Basically, it was a, like a private-held company, and the stock went was open to the public, became open to the public at that time. But before it did, the company offered to the employees an opportunity to buy shares of stock at a reduced price. And so that was an encouragement to the employees to, to, to buy a lot of this stock because it was at a discount. And uh, many of the long-term employees who have been working there, making maybe pretty good money, 
I had money to invest. Ed was one of those who invested. I think I got the numbers right, but I think he initially invested $10,000 in stocks. That $10,000 investment grew to over $1 million in 15 years because the stock price was low and it climbed and split. That's the way stocks do sometimes. It, it grew and split and grew and split, and then there's this multiplication effect that happens, and he paid $5 a share for those stocks. And in 15 years or so, he had a $1 million in stocks alone. Ed invested wisely, worked hard, and he worked a lot. He was a nice guy, except for one thing. It seemed like he was always negative about everything. Now, maybe that sounds like an exaggeration. When you say always and everything, it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's, it's not far from it. the truth. It really isn't. A number of us who worked with him called him Mr. Negative. I think we even, we even told him, we call you Mr. Negative, Ed, because you're so negative. As I got to know Ed better, I found out that his father-in-law had been a pastor at a small Bible church. His brother-in-law had been a missionary. He and his wife were involved in several uh, startup churches in years past. Mr. Negative was a non professing Christian because nothing really about him other than he was a nice guy. There's a lot of nice people. But nothing about him said he was a Christian. And he didn't say it either or admit it. Trials and tribulations in his life had caused him to lose his faith. I remember on one occasion... Ed was having one of his normal negative days. And I said, Ed, has there ever been a time in your life when you were happy? He thought for a minute. I remember he thought for a minute. And he looked down. He he put his head in his hands. And he said, yes, years ago. When my family was young and when we were poor, when I had to collect milk jugs and soda water bottles on Thursday to get the deposit money in order to buy a gallon of gas to make it work on, to get to work on Friday. You know, back in those days, uh, they didn't have all the disposable milk, uh, plastic milk jugs and and plastic bottles that you just throw away. You you needed to return them, and you paid a deposit on them. And so, anyway, that's what he did. That's how he got by. It was in the early days. It was pretty tough, even though he had a pretty decent job. Wages weren't that high back in the early '60s. Ed was a millionaire. He punched a time clock. He was a factory worker. But he was a millionaire. But all of his wealth had not given him prosperity. Not true prosperity. Somewhere, he had lost his way. Now there's a common belief among many Christians, especially here in America, that if they are faithful, God will reward their faith with physical health and material prosperity. That is what's sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. I would say that there are many Christians 
who would consciously say they don't hold to that kind of a teaching. They don't hold to that kind of a gospel. But unconsciously, they sometimes assume it's true. Do not many of us believe that God will reward our faith and our diligence and our hard work in business by blessing us with material prosperity? Plain people, Mennonites, Amish, and other Anabaptists, I think that includes us, I think that includes me. We have a reputation for being nice, friendly, honest, prosperous, hardworking people. But are they, but are we known for being steadfast followers of Jesus? I've heard it implied or intimated that if you are not doing well in business, if you're not prospering, perhaps it's a lack of faith. Or maybe it's just a lack of hard work and diligence. Now, it's true that slothfulness, laziness, will not produce much, if any, good fruit. Proverbs, it says, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. You've heard that before. Again, it says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. I think we can imagine, maybe, maybe I don't know how it is out here, but but by us in, in our part of Wisconsin, you there's a lot of farming going on, but a lot of farms have been bought up, and then the the those barns and outbuildings and houses that weren't being maintained very well are kind of an example of that. And I know farmers are busy. They've got a lot to do. But surely there's time to do some maintenance on those buildings. And sometimes it's just a matter of not making it a priority. So you see those kind of examples. And so a lack of success will be the result of slothfulness. I don't know if a slothful, lazy businessman can be very successful. But sometimes what is perceived as a lack of success may simply be the result of being content with a little. Better is little with fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. By the prosperity gospel standard, what is perceived to be success. Jesus was a failure. Have you ever thought, I know the Bible doesn't, doesn't give us a lot of information about it at all, but you'd ever thought, you know, we, we know the story of Jesus' birth, we see the beginnings, we see a little bit about his early life, uh, going to the temple as a young boy and communicating with the, the religious leaders. 
But we don't know a lot about what happened between there and when he entered into his ministry. So what was Jesus doing while he was waiting to begin, to begin his preaching and teaching and healing ministry? I think it could be assumed that he was a successful carpenter. We know that much about him, that, that, that he's said to be a carpenter. But wouldn't Jesus be a successful carpenter? Probably the best carpenter around. He, he might have had a, a never-ending flow of work. I mean, you know how it is. When you're good, when you're really good at something, and you do a good job, and you're not overpriced, and you're honest, you're going to be busy. You're going to have work. But I rather imagine that he had enough work to make a modest living. Therefore, he could reserve time for prayer, meditation, quietness, and people. Especially little people, children. I picture Jesus in a small carpenter shop. Again, the best carpenter around. He could have been fashioning ornate thrones for palaces, but I rather think that he chose to build simple stools to sit on and tables and other common items. No great reputation as a carpenter but known as a lover of people, a lover of God, and a lover of truth. When someone from the community would just stop in, there was always time to discuss the issues of this life and the next without being concerned about the next job deadline. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being made, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So what was the pattern of Jesus like? We can imagine what Jesus' life might have been before he came to meet John at the Jordan River. But maybe we need to be reminded what the scriptures do tell us. Our lives as Christians are to be based upon and modeled after the paradoxical paradoxical pattern of Jesus' life. A paradox, like the upside-down kingdom. You know, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus did not receive material prosperity during his life. He persevered in his faith, in his Father, in spite of the pressures to compromise, and he was killed because of it. Nevertheless, his death was transformed into glorious life through the resurrection. Jesus overcame. And his pattern that he set for us is to be overcomers as well. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, and I beheld a lamb as it had been slain. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus conquered the forces of evil, sin, and death through his own death and resurrection. Jesus' death on the cross was an invisible victory over Satan's forces. And afterwards, an expression that was visible in his resurrected body. So the Lamb of God slew his spiritual opponents by allowing himself to be slain, but for a time. This is why immediately before his death, he told his disciples, these things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world ye have, shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As believers, we should be an example of that paradoxical pattern of the crucified life that Jesus modeled in his own life. We must also persevere in faith when there are temptations to compromise. Remember Ed? His father was a, or his father-in-law was a pastor. His brother-in-law was a missionary. He was in some good churches, I think. But somehow, he wasn't able to persevere. When we remain steadfast in belief, we also, like Jesus, will suffer tribulation. Our victory will lie in clinging to our faith in the face of discouraging circumstances. Jesus says, if any will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To lose your life is to gain it. That is the paradox of the upside-down kingdom. Christ is not merely saying that we should model our lives after his life, not just imitate him, but genuinely be as he is. Be little Christs. There is a devotional that I learned of some years ago called The Imitation of Christ. Anybody hear that one? I'm not surprised if you haven't. It's it's actually a Catholic devotional. It was written in the fourth century in the medieval days by Thomas Thomas Akempis. As I said, it's a Catholic classic. I never read it. It might even have some merit. But I have a hard time getting past the title even. It's an imitation of Christ. Is anything imitation really good? Think about imitation cheese. What would that what would that consist of? Or imitation vanilla. We know that in Haiti you can get the good stuff, you can get the real vanilla, and it's good stuff. Imitation vanilla, mm, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have the other. What about imitation leather? Imitation leather is simply plastic. So what are we talking about? Imitation of Christ. I kind of like to be a plastic Jesus. No. We must not merely imitate Jesus, but be as real in our faith as he was. And so we as Christians must overcome through faith, even while we suffer, even as Jesus did. 
In Revelation, it says that believers must follow the Lamb wherever he goes. The Apostle Paul says that Christians should not be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. We as believers should expect that our pattern of life would be modeled after Christ's suffering life and then, like him, resurrected to experience true prosperity in eternity. And so the Christian life demands faith. Even though we have begun to experience the spiritual resurrection life with Christ, God places us, he places believers in situations of need, of suffering, and sometimes death. If we look at the history of the true church, many times it was death. Most times it was need and some suffering. We can look at in, even in in. The book of Acts, very early we find out the tribulation, the suffering, the death, the need that was expressed there. But we also see the coming together of the church, helping one another, meeting one another's needs. No one had too little and no one had too much. Sounds like the ideal. This paradoxical situation of the Christian life is meant to produce faith in us. Without need, our faith has difficulty growing. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It was that way for Joseph in Egypt. Many who are last will be first, and whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the servant of all. Joseph was a servant. He was a slave. He was a prisoner. But it was only when Joseph lost all that he had when he lost what he thought what his life could be that he truly found his life you think of a young man looking to the future and he spent it as a slave and in a prison but losing his freedom and losing all the things he could have had, he found true life in his faith in God. And so the evil of Joseph's bondage in Egypt was ironically meant to bring about good. And so biblical principles such as overcoming through being overcome and becoming great by being first a servant are only two of the ways that the New Testament talks about the ironic, paradoxical, upside-down Christian life. Paul explains how the excellency of power is of God and expressed in the life of the believer But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live 
are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. When the Apostle Paul was greatly afflicted, there is no doubt that Satan wanted to see him defeated. We know the Bible speaks of Paul and this thorn that he had. But God's purpose of that thorn, that trouble, that thing that was plaguing him was meant to humble him in order that the power of Christ would richly dwell in him. Trials that come from Satan or the world, in, in many ways, the, the world and Satan work together. The world, the flesh, the devil. These trials may seem destructive, but God purposes that those same afflictions ultimately prove constructive for us. In light of that, can we say with Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As Christians, we are to demonstrate the witness of Christ both in word and lifestyle. In many ways, it's not all that difficult for us with our Christian experience. It's not that difficult for us to live honest, respectful, moral, godly lives, which do present a good witness. Yet we may be tempted to compromise and take a low profile when it comes to actually witnessing in word. We must resist the temptation to be a silent witness and open our mouths for Jesus, especially in these strange days that we live in with worldwide pestilence. I'm going to call it pestilence and fear. To speak for Jesus is to be successful, even if, especially if, perhaps, we are rejected. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The Apostle John himself knew from personal experience what it means to exercise kingly power in Jesus' spiritual kingdom. He said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ within the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. I was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Christ. The only reason he was there is because he was speaking forth the word of God. And he had a testimony of Christ. So this verse is John's description of the Christian's end time kingship which consists of, of, of three things. John had faithfully continued to witness about Jesus through his words, his deeds. And he had been pressured to quit giving such a witness. And so again, as a result, he suffered exile on an island. One of the ways he was probably tempted to compromise was to give some kind of formal 
public acknowledgement of Caesar as Lord. You can imagine them trying to coerce John. Just, just say, just say a few words. Just say, Caesar is Lord. That's all you need to do. No big deal. Just say a few words. And then you can go back to normal life. Just say a few words. Caesar is Lord. That's all you have to do. I can imagine John saying, Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord. But because he would not do so, he suffered what appeared to be a social and political defeat. Nevertheless, he persevered in faith. And his witnessing is evidence that he was spiritually reigning in the kingdom with Christ. Didn't look like John was much of a ruling king. But you know, sometimes kings and presidents get exiled. Try to get rid of them. Happens to kings and presidents. And John was ruling as a king because he was genuinely following the path of Jesus, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, through suffering. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In the book of Revelation in chapter 2, we see that some of the Christians in Smyrna underwent economic hardship due to their Christian witness. Those cities, Asia Minor cities, there were they were large cities with developed businesses. And these businesses or trades were organized even in that day into such things as trade guilds, and we might call it today a union, but there was this association of these workers, silversmiths and other, other metal workers and other trades as well. And so these, these trade unions, these guilds, they would have periodic meetings and attendance was required, but in those meetings they also performed idol worship And so the Christians in Smyrna and Thyatira could not attend such meetings since that would compromise their Christian testimony. They rather chose to follow Jesus, even though perhaps others around them were saying to them, what's the big deal? You need to be part of this association. You need to be part of this guild. You won't be able to carry on your business. You won't be able to make a living. Consequently, they were excluded from the guild membership. Such exclusion, in essence, meant, again, they couldn't practice their trade. And no one else would carry business, carry on business with them. So when we look in Revelation... And we see this description of that church. That's what was happening. I know your works and tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. They are financially poor because they were rich in faith. So how should we... Christians respond to the temptations of our day to conform to the practices around us. In many ways, ethics and morals are just a thing of the, of the past in business and in personal life. Thinking back to my, my days again, 
at Harley-Davidson, the, the company had, uh, had, had rules and standards and uh, ways of practices. And there was, there was five things that they had posted all over the place. I can't remember all of them, but the first one was tell the truth. The second was, one was respect the individual. And a third one was to promote the product. And so, and there was a couple others, but what I remember is they said, tell the truth. But they also said, promote the product. And so in the course of promoting the product, you maybe didn't tell all the truth. It was okay. I mean, that's how business is sometimes. The lines are drawn, you know. What business wants to be known as a dishonest business? What big company wants to be known as a, as a company that makes bad product but tells you it's good and lies about it? Nobody, no company. And so compromises like that do go on. In the study of God's word, we have come to, to the belief that there are two spiritual kingdoms. One is of light, the other is of darkness. One is the kingdom of God, the other is of the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is a challenge to be living in this present world and yet know that we are really already part of a spiritual world or kingdom that is here and yet to come. To follow the pattern, to genuinely, genuinely follow the pattern that Jesus set forth may mean spiritual, social, and economic persecution and suffering. Right now, God, as he did in the days of Noah, is seeing even more than we can comprehend the great wickedness of this present age. The thoughts and imaginations of most men are evil continually. But there will be no catastrophic flood as it was in Noah's day. Let's turn to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter 3. Second Peter, chapter 3. Verse 10. No flood. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Of course, you know that word conversation means our actions, not, it can be what we say, but it's our actions. 
looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such thing, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all these epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. God many times does bless our efforts with material prosperity. But material prosperity is not his will for us. In fact, Jesus said to be careful where your treasure is. And so he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So let us not be merely an imitation of Christ. John wasn't. Peter wasn't. Paul wasn't. And neither should we. Let us be genuine and follow the genuine path.